for this. What is nothing? Yeah, that's deep. What in the fuck are we doing here? That's deep, bro. I wanted to say mommies, and then I changed my mind midway, and I said jeans. Uh, but this show is is part mommy, part jeans, and part bros. You are all welcome. You are all welcome in my kingdom. <laughs> Thank you for joining. Um, first, let me start by saying next week I will be in Washington. I know that's how you pronounce it. Don't email me and tell me I'm wrong because that's the way you do it. Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia. I'll be doing stand-up comedy there for just two nights, December 9th and 10th. Um, and then I come back home and I live my life and I get my life in my house. Hold on. I got to turn these head, turn the headphones up. Oh, oh, oh. and I don't have a, a pen, which makes me crazy. I, I always have to talk with a pen in my hand. As you guys know, if you watch us on your mom's house, I need a pen. Uh, so come watch me do stand up comedy, please. If you're in the district of Columbia and then, um, oh, Hey, now do your shopping this Christmas on Amazon. Do not. Do not not get your life and go to the mall. Why 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 are you gonna go to the mall? Don't go to the mall. Use Amazon. Use my banner. That's the row podcast at gmail.com or your mom's house. Your mom's house podcast. Did I say a Gmail? Oh my god, I'm out of my mind today. That's the bro podcast.com. Your mom's house podcast.com. Durr. And use our banners. Uh, you just click on the little square that says Amazon. If you're in Canada, we do have a Canada banner on both of those sites as well. And we thank anybody, my husband and I both, who's shopped using our banner. It's it's huge. It's huge for us. Um, this is this is this is the time to and, and Amazon's so cheap. If you do Prime, which is what I do, uh, it's it's great. The shipping is you pay one chunk sum, and then you order things throughout the year that show up the day of when you order them, and it's a miracle. Um, oh, you know what? I just tried the Amazon fresh because my neighborhood doesn't have Instacart, this new neighborhood. And I was just floored and I started going to the grocery store again, which you guys know, uh, mommy don't do that. I don't, I don't, I ain't got that kind of time. Cause I go to the store a lot. There's a lot of mouths to feed in this household. There's the, 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 the bear, there's me, there's a little one-year-old that eats like a wolf, there's two dogs, there's people who come by, my dad comes by and steals my grapefruits now off my trees, um, so there's a constant stream of people that need to be fed. What, what's the point? Amazon Fresh is a maze. You buy your groceries there, they deliver it. It's really good stuff too. All right, let's, um, I like this song. I was uh, listening to this in the car today. On the way back from my shrinky dink. Where the fuck is it? Oh my god. I think I'm gonna murder my dad. I think I may I may commit homicide tonight. I just I just popped up a text. Um, you know when you send an old person something five hundred times and then they ask you again, can you resend that um document, that photo? that uh, you sent me 500 times before. My dad just gave me that text. Hey, can you resend? God damn it. Now I know why people fucking kill old people, right? 
God damn it. All right, let's just, let's just get on with life, shall we? to sing along to. Uh, that's an old school jam from Mommy's Dark Days. You know, I love Tones Until. Boy, I used to shadow dance my ass off to that jammy jam. Oh, I love this song. You know, uh, I like Tones Until. As you know, I love Bauhaus. I love those guys in, the, the, in those bands, Peter Murphy, uh, I was going to say Dennis Haskins. It's Kevin Haskins. Dennis Haskins uh, played Mr. Belding and Saved by the Bell. <laughs> Although that would be pretty amazing if he were in a goth band. I think he'd do really well. Uh, nice guy, by the way. I actually know Mr. Belding, which is very bizarre. But any, that's another day. I used to shadow dance a lot to Tones on Till. But they're, they're, I was going to say that their lyrics are very enlightening. There's a band called Love and Rockets that they became, and they sing about enlightenment and Buddhism and, uh, you know, meditation and all that, that cool deep stuff that I have not been doing in the last three weeks. And, uh, my head is spinning just, I am, you know, when you just, you're doing too much and, um, and you don't have time to, to get your life and to, uh, get, get centered and I, I just fucking, you know, I'm trying to get this house together. I got my kid. I got, I got my babies. I got my dogs. I got, now I got, there's five guys in my backyard right now just tearing shit up. There's five guys in the front yard tearing shit up. <laughs> there's, you know, there's people spray painting shit. It's just a fucking, oh my God. Oh my God. So I'm going to hold it together and uh, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. I'm sitting in an ergonomic chair. My husband 
um, my husband and I went to Joe Rogan's studio a while back and he had these chairs that don't let you slouch. And as you guys have seen me on your mom's house, I get many an email telling me how I look like I'm sleeping on that show. Cause I love to, <laughs> I just, I, if I could, I would lay down all day. Uh, like Winston Churchill who did most of his business from his bed. I don't know if you know that, but Winston Churchill, uh, former prime minister of England, I have a perfect accent, thank you, would do the majority of his business from his bed in the morning because that's where he did his best work. And I'm no different, people. If I could, I would be horizontal most of the day. I really, I had a yoga teacher tell me once that it's good that I am so close to the earth, but I also need to resist being so close to the earth, uh, which is why now I, I do Pilates twice a week. I watch my diet. But I'm sitting in an ergonomic chair that forces you to sit upright, and it's the most uncomfortable goddamn thing in the world. But I think it's supposed to, it's going to help my sciatica. Oh, I got sciatica now. Um, my hip bones hurt all the time. <laughs> Because my core muscles are weak. That's what I. That's what I heard. That's what my my trainer says. <laughs> um, I put my Christmas tree up. I did it early. I did it uh, at the end of Thanksgiving week, and that was so. It's so wonderful, and I I I absolutely love. As I discussed last week, I love the holidays. I refuse to allow uh, past memories taint my future. Life. I refuse to be victimized by uh, past Christmases, past failed traumatic Thanksgivings, and um, disastrous Halloweens. I refuse. And I, I, you know, of course, when you move, you're convinced that half your shit was left at the old house, or somebody surely has stolen half my Christmas ornaments because I couldn't find. Um, a few faves, you know, there's one that I got from the Brussels Griffon Rescue Society. It says Merry Christmas instead of Merry Christmas. Get it? <laughs> oh, Merry Christmas. And it's got a little Griffy on there. And I put that on my tree and I was convinced that somebody had stolen my Merry Christmas ornament because I couldn't find it. And of course, lo and behold, the very last box I unpacked, it was there. It was there. And I, I, I had a sigh of relief and I apologized to my husband who had to hear me rant and, and kick and scream around the house about how my, my Griffey ornament had disappeared. And, um, I'm glad that she's back. She's a she. Oh no, I got binary there for a moment. I'm sorry. That's so, so disrespectful to the, um, the non-binary uh, community. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have gave it a pronoun. It's an ornament self. It's an ornament self. But uh, one thing I do love about Christmas trees is I've decided to incorporate, um, you know, actually not just about Christmas tree, about about stuff as I'm um, getting deep on stuff and boxes of stuff is that you realize, like I said last week, A, how much shit you have that you do not need, and B, when somebody dies, you inherit um, box loads of their crap. If, if you're the only child, which I am, I, I just inherited every, almost all my mother's belongings. And, uh, you know, I, I donated the vast majority of her belongings, but then there, you know, there are family heirloom type things. There are, 
you know, she had these garish, like, crystal, <laughs> crystal eggs. Like, what? Who fucking, why would I, like, I'm a, I'm a 40-year-old, like, semi-hipster mom. Like, I, I don't have glass eggs. <laughs> it's just it's so not my energy. And she had, like, um, crystal cigarette holders, which I think when I was a goth, I... When I was a teenager, I would just dream of stealing those and taking them out into the, the goth clubs and smoking cigarettes out of them, but I never did. Um, but just these like wonderfully garish things that I'm, I'm now finding ways to incorporate into my home. So like, you know, I'm not going to put all of her ridiculous shit out, but uh, on my Christmas tree, I may put one or two of Edith's ridiculously garish gold gold reindeers or an icicle made of glass with some gold thread around it. Like just so preposterous. Cause my mother was an amazing Christmas tree maker. My goodness. I mean, she was, her Christmas trees looked like, you know, the stuff that you would see in, um, what is it? Rockefeller center, like perfect bows made of gold and white and perfect, perfect ornaments aligned and ribbons just tied. I mean, it was just spectacular. My mother really had a knack for decorating for the holidays. And I inherited a lot of her cool um, Christmas stuff, which I'm so... That's <laughs> that's what I like the most. I mean, she had like furs and crap too. But no, no, no. It's the Christmas shit that I'm really stoked about. You know, she had like a train. She's one of the people that had like a fucking Christmas train. With a train with like a fake Santa on it. And I was like, yes, I finally get the Santa. And then she had a dancing Santa, which I really like to, you know, the high ticket items I go for. Um, so yes, it's been an exercise in, um, you know, incorporating the good parts of my mother into my life and, and not completely rejecting um, all of her. Because I think for many years I lived uh, reactively to my mother Meaning that if she liked red, I hated red. If she liked gold, I hated gold. So now I'm learning like, oh, there's some parts of me that I really like some of her garish nonsense. And um, I'm going to put some of it um, around the house. And a, a funny story about my mom. If any of you have relatives with borderline personality disorder, this story will make perfect sense to you. Um I remember when I first started dating my husband, my mother and I took a trip to Michael's Arts and Crafts, and that is by far one of my favorite stores on the planet. I, I'm a sucker for uh, Michael's. I'm a sucker for uh, Hobby Lobby. Oh, get your life on a Hobby Lobby. I was in Ohio um, about a month ago, and that was my first destination. I rented a car for many reasons, but one of them being that I could go straight to Hobby Lobby and buy just buckets of Christmas ornaments um, at really cheaper prices, man. Because when you buy that shit out here in LA, I don't know why it's like double the cost, but I, oh, I love it. It's like shopping in Mexico when I go to Ohio and I get all these stuff for half off. There are some towns, um, in Ohio, just out Cincinnati is where I was, and I went to their Hobby Lobby, and there was another one too. I'm trying to think. Uh, Peoria, Illinois, good Hobby Lobby there. 
So the story is, um, my mother and I went shopping at Michael's Arts and Crafts. This is like, I don't know, years, years, years ago when Tommy and I started dating and I was telling her about this comic that I was seeing and I had just broken up with a lawyer and my mother was so mad at me for breaking up with a lawyer. How could I, how could I break up with a man that was going to make so much money and I don't, you know, she didn't care that I was not really, you know, the relationship wasn't working and I wasn't happy, but she was more upset that I, I would dare leave, um, a breadwinner like that. <laughs> um, and this guy, by the way, was, is, is a fantastic person. Like I have nothing, no ill will. It wasn't like that, but, um, we just grew apart guys. We just grew apart. Um, I became a comedian. He became a lawyer. It doesn't, it didn't really fit together, but, uh, so we were at the Michaels Arts and Crafts and I am a colorful person. I like, I like my Christmas trees to be a nonsensical cornucopia of color and lights and ridiculous. I'm the type of person I'll fucking mix white lights with color lights. Yeah. I said, I'm not going to, I'll fucking, I'll put gold ornaments with silver, red, green, blue, whatever. I'll put a, I'll put a, a Hanukkah star up there with Santa. Yes, that's right. And um, my mother looked at my ornament selection in my basket at Michael's Arts and Crafts, and she was livid with me. She was furious. She said, I don't understand. What is your theme? I go, what is your theme for your tree? I go, I don't, I just, I like all these colors, mom. And well, you have too many different colors, red, yellow, silver, blue. You can't put these colors together on the tree. You can't put them together. <laughs> I, I can't put them together. Why? Why? It doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. Well, I mean, if that's how you want your tree, then go ahead and do it this way. I don't fucking care. Like she got so mad at me um, for because I was all over the place with my Christmas tree design. <laughs> Um, which is interesting because I just had this thought the other day. Um, now as I, uh, as I look at my tree, my husband actually looked at our tree and really and complimented me and he goes, wow, this is such a cool tree because I collect ornaments based on eras of our lives. You know, there's a skunk on our tree that commemorates the time we spent in Silver Lake when there were skunks under our house that would mate in the spring and it would just stink of, um, you know, skunk spray. So I would go buy an ornament to commemorate that. There's there's an ornament of a seahorse from when we spent time, you know, we lived in Redondo. So that that was that was that era of our lives. And I I like to have every ornament be silly but have meaning. That's just how I roll. And of course I just every time I would put an ornament on the tree, I'd think, oh, Edith wouldn't like that. Oh, oh, she wouldn't be upset about that one. Oh. Definitely wouldn't approve of all. And I, like I said, there was a star of David on my tree that I got from a, a friend many years ago. There's a, um, you know, there's some other bullshit on there I won't go into, but, um, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff that, that doesn't fit. And, um, my husband, like I said, complimented me and I thought, oh, that's neat because simultaneously as I was doing it, I actually flogged myself for it. Right. Like I, I have her inner uh, critic inside of me. You know, every time I do something that I like and I know she disapprove of, disapproves of, I I unconsciously even sometimes hear her chastising me. You know, like, don't put that. Nobody has an ornament of a cheeseburger. Don't do that. It looks terrible. 
Okay. <laughs> I still hear her in my head. And um, I had this radical thought as I was decorating and as my husband enjoyed our tree is that what if, what if, what if, what if I just t- tuned her out and what if I just enjoyed being me for one fucking minute? What if I just celebrated the fact that I like being all over the place, that there's going to be uh, cheeseburgers on my tree and bacon and seahorses and, um, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, and that's just how I am. And what if I enjoyed that about me instead of, instead of feeling like always an alien, excuse me, about what I like. Um, I don't know why. And I don't know why that is about, about me, but I do feel like a, there's always a weird sense of like, Oh, I know this isn't normal. God, I know I'm fucking weird for liking this one. Or I, I just, I constantly chastise myself for the little idiosyncrasies that, I think make me um, unique or make me a human, but uh, you know, cause I'm not doing it right. Right. I'm not doing it perfect. Cause Edith would have done it perfectly. Uh, Edith's tree would have been perfect. My tree far from perfect. So anyway, I thought I would share that. I hope that helps some of you maybe dealing with uh, issues of shit, uh, parent, parent um, chastisement <laughs> unconscious, by the way. And I don't even know if it's conscious anymore. It's like this just negative, um, commentator that just likes to shit on me, but it, it's really my mom's voice. It's definitely not mine. Holy cow. Holy cow. Okay. Let's, um, so that was just my thought for the week. Uh, imagine a world in which you just enjoyed yourself, enjoyed your idiosyncrasies, enjoyed the little things that you're ashamed of about yourself, because really what's the point in being ashamed of the crap that, um, that I think most people do. I mean, we're all, we're all human beings and there's a very narrow range of stuff that we all like, do think about. Um, I mean, I'm, and I'm not, there's the outliers. There's people that like to stab and murder other people. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about. You should be ashamed if you're thinking about murdering somebody, or, you know, being violent. Uh, yeah, keep that shit to yourself. The other stuff, the the the, the banal things, like um, I one of my favorite things in the world to do, favorite things in the world. I mean, I'm talking top three things to do, and I don't do it very often because um, it's not good for you necessarily. Um, but I my thing is I love sharp cheddar cheese, just a block of it. You give me a brick of that stuff. It's not going to last long. Um, but what I like to do is I cut off just a ridiculous size hunk, a brick of cheddar. It's got to be sharp. And I put it on a plate and I put it in the microwave and I just nuke the shit out of it. And I liquefy it, but it's got to be liquefied to the point where it's also hard around the edges like it starts to get hard that that like microwave overcook, you know, it starts like lacing at the end. <laughs> that might be just the definition of, of just bliss for me. And I pull it out of the microwave and it's so hot. And now I just, I want to get it in my mouth so fast and I get a Triscuit or like, um, those whole foods crackers that I like the, the like bleachy flowery bad ones. And I just, 
I can't eat it fast enough, you know? Sometimes I'll just eat it with a spoon too, but I like a cracker, you know? There's nothing better than cheese and melted, melted cheese and crackers. Holy shit, right? God. Oh my God. It's so fucking good. That and um, yellow cake with chocolate frosting. God damn it. I am white trash to my core, but that that is some like you you make me a fucking yellow cake with chocolate frosting for my birthday or something we're fr- like that's how i know we're real friends that you knew that about me that that is my jam like don't go buy me some expensive um sprinkles bullshit you know don't don't get me no fucking suzy cake uh $50 i i hate that stuff and, and in fact the older i get the less i believe the hype on all this expensive shit most most of the cheapy stuff is is in my opinion a lot better um not everything, but some stuff. Uh, but I love just shitty um, yellow cake, chocolate frosting, Betty Crocker, whatever. Whatever. I don't care. Duncan Hines is good too. Just that shitty box. Oh, and macaroni and cheese out of the box. Best. Best. <sighs> but I don't put milk in it because I grew up poor, so we didn't have milk. We just did. That sounds like a bit. It's not. I know it sounds like a bit that's been done a thousand times. Sorry. But it's truth in my world. I would just do butter because we always had butter in the house, but never milk. Butter and just powder, and that's it. I like it that dense. I like it when you mix it and the spoons just got chunks of the orange powder. Oh, there's nothing as good. All right, let's get into it. This is from a mommy named uh, TL. I wonder what the TL stands for. Hmm. Uh, Totally, totally, totally awesome. Okay. Um, a lot of you are writing to me. You're graduating in December. Congratulations. Uh, I know it's filled with a lot of trepidation. I, I graduated. I was a December graduator too because I took an extra semester or extra year, I think, in undergrad. And um, it's a, it's, there's a lot of anxiety that runs this time of year. And I, I know there are people who are in college who are like, I can't wait to graduate and get a job and get out in the real world. Like, why? 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 Stay in that ivory tower as long as you can. Academia is the best. You kidding me? Nothing but uh, reading cool books and getting laid and, uh, you know, being existential and smoking cigarettes and drinking vodka right out of the Popov bottle. Oh, I loved it. So I understand those of you, if you're listening and you're graduating soon from school and you have tons of anxiety about what you're going to do, who, you, who, who you're going to become, how will you make money? Those are all valid concerns. And especially because these school systems fails you in teaching you how to do things like get a job, balance your checkbook, fucking change your oil, do your taxes. Um, there, there's no practical class in college. And I do think that uh, to that extent, the education system has failed you. You young, us, us young people, I'm so young. Um, because I remember graduating and being like, I don't know what to do. How do I fucking, how do I find a, a place to live? I've never done that. How do I, how do I uh, lease a car? I don't, what? Where, how do I do any of this shit? Where, how do I file taxes? Um, there's a lot. There's a lot. And the real world is vastly different from academia. Vastly different. And I know because I, 
I was I drank the liberal college Kool-Aid thoroughly. I went to school in San Francisco when it was at the height of its um you know forward thinkingness. I I went to school in, in the city when it was weird, when it was uh predominantly gay and that that's you know what I'm saying like those motherfuckers invented non-binary. That shit was shit before you know the lingo of it. There were dudes wearing, you know, pink leotards on unicycles on hate street back in the nineties. That's when I was in San Francisco and you know, you just didn't give a fuck. You didn't have to, nobody labeled it. Nobody made a big deal. It just was. And it was very cool and very progressive. Um, and I know people get so hung up on language on what, what do we call each other? And I know there's a utility in it. I'm not um, saying that there's no, usefulness and labeling things properly and using the correct words for people, places, things. I understand it's very important for people to be identifiable. I know, I know. Um, I know. I have great empathy for that. I do. But um, I wonder, and in the real world, I wonder if any of that stuff matters I, <laughs> or works even. Because I, I remember in the 90s during the Clinton era, um, we had the political correct correctness correctness movement where we started calling people different things um i don't know some of you might be too young to even know this but in the 90s when i was going to college when i was applying for colleges uh they were really making a push for affirmative action to try to help um non-white people get into school and part of that which was totally fine because guess what? White people still got to go to school because those those white kids could still afford it. Don't worry. But I remember white people white people being very mad at affirmative action. Like, you guys are screwing us whiteies out of our privilege. Like, don't worry about it. You're not going to lose your, your privilege. Um, you're still going to buy your way into Harvard. Don't worry. So it didn't really affect, I don't know, maybe it did affect people listening. But I, for me, I still got into my shitty fourth tier private university <laughs> uh, just uh, by hangnail, got into college. Um, but there was this push to label people sensitively, right? To be sensitive to their heritage. And so you couldn't call black people, black people. They were called African-Americans. Asians were Asian-Americans. Um, I would be considered a European American, um, et cetera, and, and down the line, German Americans and all this. So it was supposed to foster a sensitivity to other cultures and other people. But I think what really it really fostered was an animosity towards having to be ultra sensitive about words. And, uh, oh, um, did I just, do I call you black or do I call you African-American? I don't fucking know. And I, I think that's, <laughs> that was really the utility was like, okay, um, now nobody knows how to fucking talk to each other. Um, but did it, now my question is though, did political correctness, did the PC movement of the nineties change anything? Did it help? I don't know. I don't know if there have been studies done on the effectiveness of, of, um, of, you know, forcing political correct, politically correct language on people, if that actually changes their thinking, doesn't look like it because um, people nominated a openly racist Trump president. <laughs> doesn't look like it, guys. Um, and my theory with that stuff is because it doesn't matter what you call people, the wording, the words don't fucking matter. It's always economic. Follow the money. Was it Marx, the socio- social dictates the money, the money, dic- social, economic, economic dictates the show, social. I think it's the economic dictates the social. And then Baudrillard flipped it, whatever. The point is, uh, whoever has the money has the power. 
so it doesn't matter what the fuck you call somebody. If we stop calling women cunts or pussies or bitches, it doesn't fucking matter because you don't got the power until you got the money. And that goes for any, any community. So, you know, we can be sensitive to people's feelings until their assholes bleed. But the, the fact is, until we actually give people the power to make money to contribute to society with economics, it doesn't fucking matter. And I say that because I got an email, somebody was upset with me for calling um, the woman a retard on the plane that I was referring to, this, this woman who, who was very dumb and was saying dumb things on the plane. And this emailer, she's very sweet, actually, was like, hey, you know, just bringing up the debate on... Uh, language and how we use it. And I, hey, man, I studied this shit in college. I know you're talking about the idea that language and how we refer to people can uh, make a difference and how it impacts thinking and thoughts, right? If you're allowed to call people the N-word, then it does lead you down a path pejorative, obviously. I mean, there's a reason that stuff went out of fashion, right? You know, call people that in public. It's terrible <laughs> or private, hopefully. I don't know. But... um but look, guys, um, do I use the word retard? Yes. And if that, uh, you know, I don't mean anything. Gosh, by that. Jeez, Louise. I don't, I don't know. You know what? On the other hand, the real world is, um, is a, uh, a tricky place, folks. And in academia, that stuff is real. In the real world, no one gives a shit. People only respect you if you got the power. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, that's my two cents on it. Um, and yeah, I'm a fucking comedian. I'm going to say shit that's inappropriate constantly. So I can't change. Uh, and I, and I, and it's a, it's always a weird request to me when someone, um, is like, well, I'm, I'm offended that you said that word. So could you not? So basically you're saying, could you stop doing what you're doing so that I can feel better about me, which is a very bizarre request. Um, but Hey, Anyways, I appreciate your emails. I do read them and uh, thank you for that. So let's get into this one. TL writes, um, I'm, I'm in a situation right now that I've never faced. I'm 23, male. I'm getting my BS in psychology. Very cool. With plans to go into graduate school immediately following graduation. I have goals. I'm an attractive person and I've been given every opportunity to succeed in life. I'm also diagnosed with depression. Not the kind of depression that leaves you in bed all day or makes you feel suicidal, but the kind that slowly eats your soul as you ponder the meaninglessness of life. Yeah, I think I got that too. All that being said, I'm a strange, I'm in strange limbo. I'm in the process of ostensibly ending a long-term relationship with someone who doesn't really make me that happy. Yet I'm terrified of losing her. I know this is rooted deep in my psyche. I've always been afraid of being alone and afraid of being rejected, even if the rejection is of something I don't necessarily want. Why am I so afraid of losing someone that doesn't fulfill what I want or need from a partner? I feel like there's someone else out there waiting for me, but I'm just too big of a pussy to cut the cord. What are your thoughts on this? And have you ever been there before? There you go. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Look, I'm fucking, I've lived in that place for like, I would say my entire twenties were what you're exactly describing. Does anybody want to be alone? No, no, it fucking sucks. Thank you, Bitsy. Bitsy agrees. Um, nobody likes, I mean, 
I don't know nobody, but I don't think a lot of humans like feeling lonely. I will say that. I, I do tend to like being alone, but I don't like feeling lonely. And that's totally normal and reasonable. But I think the bigger question is like, shh, hey, schnitzel, schnitzel, shh, gosh. The bigger thing is why are you afraid to leave something that sucks, right? And um, and I, I don't know. I mean, I can only tell you what I've been through. <laughs> schnitzel. Oh, my God. I think someone's coming into the studio. <laughs> Shit. Hold on. <laughs> Oh, okay. There's just some guy hauling paint cans. Stop it. So yeah, why do we stay with people that suck um, or that just aren't right for us or that don't make us happy, et cetera, et cetera. And especially at your age. Look, if you do it as, at an older age when you've got kids and stuff, that's a different ballgame. You're a guy in your early 20s and you're in a long-term relationship. You're not happy, but you're too afraid to cut the cord. Um, Yeah, I did the same shit. I think the problem at, at that age is like, you know, you've just left the nest. You've just left your own family and now you kind of are lost. That's what the 20, the early 20s are in colleges. You're trying to um, live without a family, I think. I think that's what I was doing. And then you meet somebody and they fulfill kind of part of that part of you that needs that sense of stability and and feeling good. And it feels good to be with someone and then not good at the same time. And I, and I think that like a lot of us would rather stay with the devil we know than cut the cord and feel the pain of loneliness because um, it's terrible to break up. Breaking up with somebody is one of the worst things that you can do. I, it might actually be better if that person died because it feels like a death, except you see that person on social media now, which I did not have when I was breaking up with people. Thank God. I couldn't even imagine breaking up with some dude and then seeing his ass on Instagram, like I'm partying, I'm out doing tequila shots with my bro. And you're like, what? I'm at home listening to whatever, Courtney Barnett. Is she cool? Um, and crying about this. So I imagine it's very hard. So, uh, cutting the, and it is, it's cutting the cord. You even use that phrase, which is a very, um, maternal mommy thing, right? This is your, your love source. This is your source of stability. And especially in your early twenties, like, fuck, you don't know what's going on. Those relationships are often the hardest to get out of those, those early, early ones. Cause they feel so intense. Like you're so, it's your first adult relationship and it's everything. And that's, I think, part of the reason. So, uh, but you got to cut the cord, bro. Cause here's the deal. A lot of girls around the graduate school age around, um, this time of life, um, they start thinking about marriage and babies and locking it down, <laughs> locking it in, locking it down. So, yeah, you really got to free this person before the expectations start of marriage and children and settling because that's very natural for women, anybody to want. Why not? Um, yeah, why not? There you go. But yeah, it's a, it's a fucking, it's a fucking uh, nightmare breaking up. I, if my husband, if we broke up, I'd be devastated. Like, I, I don't even know how people get divorced. Seriously. I don't even know how you do it. I, I would die. I would just fucking die. I would die. I would die. Or if he dies before me, oh my God. All I pray is that I die before him, you know, let him suffer. 
Yeah. Let him try to make dinner at night without me. Okay. Oh, what's going on? Oh, I, this poor woman, this poor woman wrote to me and I, God, I guess, you know, when you, I just felt her suffering. Okay, here we go. Hello, my main mommy. My name is Samantha and you're the true water champion. Yes, I am. Thank you for acknowledging Samantha. All right, let's get deep, bro. I am a senior in college pursuing a degree in social work and struggling to find myself. I've never had this problem before. My entire life, I have planned out everything, and every choice I made was better to better my future. I started working at a mental health drop-in center. In my area, heroin is a huge problem, and that was the main uh, population I was dealing with. I was, it was taking a huge toll on me. The center is run by people who also had severe mental illness. Yay. One of the main people in administration carry, carried around a Geiger counter. <laughs> I shit you not. After someone died on me there, I really started to think about my situation. I was extremely underpaid and had too much responsibility on my shoulders. My boss made me a professional babysitter who had to clean up after a stabbing. I wish I was joking. Oh, no. After being called a fat fucking pig one too many times and noticing my hair was falling out from stress, I wrote my letter of resignation. Good for you. My gut told me it was time and I had to leave. It has been two weeks since then and I'm still trying to find work. I left the center to find a less stressful job. My entire adult life, I was planning for future Sam and forgetting about present Sam. I will graduate soon if the gods are willing and will start my career advocating for others. I started to realize I wasn't advocating for myself. The f- my family is the most unsupportive, passive-aggressive bunch one could ever meet. They told me since I couldn't work at the center, I, could, I shouldn't be a social worker. <laughs> I know I will be a good social worker, but their words keep me awake at night. Social work is one of the only things I have found that I am truly good at. Taking a non-social worky job seems strange to me. I feel like I am giving up, but I know it is better for my sanity. I want to take this time to actually be a 21-year-old and enjoy being young. How do I let the perfectionist in me relax and just be present? Okay. There's a lot going on, Sam. First of all, congratulations um, on graduating very soon. Congratulations on knowing what you want to do with your life at 21. That is a massive accomplishment and very rare and very special. If you know what you want to do at 21, um, fucking do it. And don't let cunts like this person you worked for uh, ruin it for you. It sounds to me like you may have had a horrendously bad first experience with social work. Maybe, and here's the thing, there's people to help everywhere. I don't know if this particular town, place, place, heroin people, maybe that's not your jam. Um, maybe there's another city that you could work at that would be better for you or a better facility where your boss doesn't carry around a Geiger counter. And also I hear what you're saying. Remember what I was talking about putting Christmas tree ornaments on my tree and hearing my mother's negative voice telling me I was doing it wrong. What you're saying is your family is an unsupportive, passive aggressive bunch. And they told me, Quote, I couldn't work at the center. I shouldn't be a social worker, right? So they're saying, well, if you can't hang, (laughs) why bother, right? Is that what you heard? Well, I mean, if you can't do that, then you can't do it anywhere. If you can't do (laughs) And that's what shitty family will do to you and shitty friends and shitty people around you who have no fucking business telling you 
how to live your life and how, and how do they know? Have, have your parents been social workers? And even if they were, are they the fucking end-all be-all to social work? And do they know everything about it? No, they don't. All they know is that they want to feel better about themselves and to keep you beneath them emotionally or whatever. So that's why they say messed up things to you because they're turds. I'm sorry, but I'm glad you realize that your family are turds. Now, here's what you're going to do. <laughs> let me let me organize your life for you. Uh, you've only been looking for a new gig for two weeks. That's nothing. And right now it's the holidays, so it's a bit hard to find a gig. I would put any expectations of finding something realistically until after the new year because right now things are kind of shutting down. It's the end of fourth quarter. They're probably not looking to hire people, likely, until first quarter in the business world, right? We know first quarter, second, third, fourth. Okay. So if you can, enjoy the holidays. Lay low. Regroup. Um... Try not to, I don't know. I mean, I, know, I don't know what your money situation is. If you can hang in there for another couple weeks until after Christmas, drive a fucking Uber until then. I don't know. I don't know how, you, how you kids make your money. Um, but lay low and enjoy the season as best you can. And I would say start looking and look somewhere good. Talk to people. I know that's a very novel idea in today's society. Fucking call people and say, hey, here's the experience I had in this horrible place. Can you tell me a great place to work with supportive staff and wonderful people? (laughs) I had lots of shitty jobs. Before I became a comedian, I had many, 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 many day jobs. And I I found the one common trait um, amongst a lot of offices I worked in was negativity. And I don't know why, and I don't understand, but I don't know why everybody was fucking miserable most of the time. It's that culture of like, well, I don't really like working here, but I got to do, I got to be miserable. I got to do. And for some people, yes, that is the only option. I'm not saying that everybody is like destined to be fucking Beyonce, but man, I just, if you're going to be working there, at least fucking have a positive attitude, right? at least enjoy it. And the bet I tell you, the one place I worked was at the, the Girl Scouts of all places. I worked at as nonprofit, the Girl Scouts of greater Los Angeles was one of the best day jobs I ever had because I, I, the people were wonderful. They were positive. It was all women. I don't think there were any dudes in that office. And for the most part, 98% of the people that worked there were awesome because they all liked what they were doing and we were helping the community and we were helping little girls and we were doing the fucking cookie thing and, and you know, selling badges to daisies. How fucking adorable was that? How could you be miserable selling like an ice cream patch to a second grade girl? It was great. But I'm saying I worked in a lot of shitty places before I found the Girl Scouts. A lot of horrible places before I found the Girl Scouts. I quit a lot of places (laughs) or I got fired from a lot of places because I I just don't understand why you have to be miserable. There's no reason to be um, unhappy. And you know what? If taking a non-social worky job seems strange to you, then maybe you should keep being a social worker. Don't let your fucking parents tell you not to just because they didn't realize their dreams. Don't you dare let other people tell you you can't do it because they couldn't do it. And you titled your subject, your subject says failure. How have you failed? I don't see anybody here that's failed. I see somebody that had the bum luck of a bad first gig. Don't you dare call yourself a failure. 
No fucking way. Nobody, nobody, if you, listen, girl, you know that stupid saying the only failure is people who stop trying? That's absolutely true. You know who's a fucking failure? The people who tell you you can't do it. Fuck those people. Those are the failures. You're the winner. You're about to embark on the rest of your life and you're going to do it so much better. Trust me. You're not a failure, boo-boo. There's a great book um, called Failing Forward. Failing Forward. Let me look it up. I read it like a year ago and it was such an amazing book. I, I, If anybody listening feels like a failure, read it. Yeah. Failing Forward, Turning Mistakes into Stepping Stones for Success by John C. Maxwell. It's kind of old. Oh, no, it was published in 82. Uh, I don't know why it kind of reads like an older book, but um, that book was wonderfully helpful to me because, look, I don't think failure, when you, failure is the wrong word. I, a failure implies like you're, you, you know what I mean? I hear so many things when I hear that word. I hear loser, no good, worthless, right? Like, don't we add qualities to failure that kind of aren't there inherently in the word all it means is wrong turn it's like the gps right it reroutes recalibrating rerouting rerouting you just took a wrong turn that's all failure is it's a wrong turn and if you're if you're aware enough you can steer the ship to go in the right direction you can reroute so it's not failure it's just rerouting. He took a wrong turn. Ways fucked up. Ways told you to go left on Bundy at five o'clock on a Friday. It's not going to fucking happen. So you got to make a right and then you're going to reroute and then you're going to go back there. That's all. Not a failure, boobs. You know, when you watch little kids learn to walk, my, my little boo-boo is learning to step and walk. Now he fails. I hate the word fail. He tries 500,000 times a day. That's all babies do. They're, they're mastering their world. They're mastering learning to hold a spoon. And today he learned, you know, oh, I'm going to put the spoon to my mouth. And that takes, that takes so much practice. And it takes trying and trying and trying and trying until they, until they can do it. And that's what humans do. You do that. You've done that, all of you. And instinctively, right? You're born trying. From the fucking minute you're born, you learn, you know, how to suck. That's your first thing, right? I'm going to suck mommy's titties. I'm going to live. <laughs> and then you pick up all these skills. You learn to sit up. Oh my God, that's massive. I can sit up. You learn to crawl. Holy shit, I'm, I'm moving. I'm mobile now. Now I'm going to pull myself up on furniture and I'm going to fall down about 5 million times before I can stand on this thing. And that's all it is. And imagine someone telling a little baby, you can't do it. You're, ne- you're never going to walk, you little shit. Imagine <laughs> But that's how we treat ourselves when we grow up. We tell each other, oh, I can't do it. What's the point? I'm going to give up. I'm not going to do this thing because I messed up, because I took a wrong turn. Forget it. Imagine, imagine, imagine yourself as a toddler learning to walk the next time you mess up. And imagine telling your toddler self that you can't do I can't do it because I fucked up, because I failed, failed. It's so harsh, right? It's so harsh. And it's funny because you talk to, like, if you... Uh, talk to people like multimillionaire people that are very successful. Richard Branson, by the way, I love him. I love reading his silly little books. He he's dyslexic and he writes books. But if you read the tales from these highly successful business people over the years, the resounding theme is failure. Failure is the one constant amongst all these people that I've read. Is but it's not the failure that makes you successful. It's the constant trying and going, oh, that didn't work and not personalizing the failure. That's what I learned from that book, Failing Forward, is that when we do something bad, we tend to 
personalize it. Like I'm a failure because I did something that didn't work. That's the danger is that you identify with it and then you go, oh, I'm a fucking loser. And you go down that rabbit hole of like, oh, I'm never going to do anything right. Mm, I never do. My mom's right. My dad's right. I am a piece of shit. My sister was right. The school teacher was right, right? Oh, that's the danger. So there you go. Get your life, boo-boo. Fuck them. Y'all don't need them. Don't And stop hanging out with them. That's another thing. You know you don't have to hang out with people that abuse you, right? You don't have to. Who gives a fuck if they're related to you? God. That is the worst. Ugh. Here's another one. Graduating from college in engineering. Congratulations. Spencer, I'm 24 and I'll be graduating from college. That's amazing, you guys. Congratulations to everybody. That's so fucking... It's a big deal. Four years. Um, he writes, I have a lot of anxiety about the future regarding where I will end up after I finish school in December and how to handle the loss of contact with friends. Right now, I plan to move back in with my parents a few states away to California where I will fill out applications and make phone calls for finding a job or career in the meantime. The difficulty is that my parents are very hard to live with and that I have lost a lot of friends from my hometown. Not only that, but I'm leaving behind great friends that I've made during extended tenure in Texas and even a relationship that looks promising. It's hard for me to make new friends, but more importantly, I fear fear I will lose the friends that I have made regardless of my efforts to maintain those relationships. How may you have handled this kind of loss before? How do I deal living with parents in a social wasteland? Is there hope that I will not be a lonely fuck? (laughs) He writes, kidding. Yeah, I had to do the same thing. I think a lot of us do that. Um, We graduate, you move back in with your fucking horrible parents for a minute. Um, and I was lucky that a lot of my friends were from LA who went to school in San Francisco. So we just came back and like, we we all lived together or I moved in with a boyfriend, but they lived together and we still saw each other. Thank Christ. Um, my question to you is why can't you stay in Texas? Is there, is there, um, is there a reason that you can't just live in Texas and stay with your friends? If you don't have anybody in California and you don't like your family, just fucking stay there. I think uh, I should have, looking back in retrospect, I kind of should have stayed in San Francisco an extra year. I kind of would have liked that better just as as a transitional year from college to whatever, but I don't know. Um, Unless there's a real reason to uproot yourself, why not just stay in the town you went to school in? There's no rule that says you have to move back to California. And secondly, um, you'll make new friends. You definitely will. You're at the age where it's a lot easier when you're young to make friends. You'll make friends in your new office place. You'll make friends. I don't know if you go to bars or, 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 um, like clubs or whatever the fuck. Right. I, I met people at jobs all the time. And then later comedy clubs. Those are the people that I'm still friends with. The people I met in my early twenties in comedy clubs. Um, I don't know, dude, you know how I would deal living with my parents. Seriously. What I did is I just, I moved in with a boyfriend after two weeks. I couldn't do it. If you can, I would suggest bypassing your folks and finding a roommate if you can afford it. Someone to share expenses with ASAP. If you have to live in California, find a roomie. Someone you know, someone you like. At least you'll have one friend that you can live with and split the bills with. Um, Yeah, or just fucking stay in Texas. My God, don't move to California if you hate it here, you know? Anyway, 
Yeah, I fucked that up, man. I my regret is that I moved in with a boyfriend. I really shouldn't have done that. In retrospect, it was like I just wanted out of my folks' house. And you know when you're like 20 years old and you're like that's an easiest solution. I'll just move in with a boy. He's got all the money. I'll just go with him. <laughs> and not thinking that like, oh, this might be down the road something that I don't want to do. I should have just moved in with a buddy. I should have just moved in with my girlfriends. I don't know what I was thinking living with a boy that early, but whatever. Whatevs. I learned. I learned. I don't know. That's it. So that's um that's been my episode. I'm gonna go back into the chaos that is my home, and I hope that these workers are wrapping shit up. They're taking away cans of paint. Some of these people who had the house before us left us like shelves, shelves of paint. And um, in the state of California, it is damn near impossible to have paint removed because it's considered hazardous waste. So that's fun, trying to find the one person that's willing to haul away uh, cans of paint. <laughs> so dumb. So simple, right? It's such a, such a dumb uh, 40-year-old problem. I can't, someone can't lug away these paint cans. <laughs> My creme brulee isn't crunchy enough on top. My latte, my pumpkin spice latte isn't pumpkin-y enough. Oh, boo-hoo. I got grown-up problems. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. Uh, until next week. Until next week. I'm talking like that. Um, it's been deep. Have a wonderful week. Stay sane. Get your life. I'm going to try to get mine back. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to fucking do all the stuff that I need to do to stay um to stay centered because my god you're gonna need it right you're gonna need that shit stay in texas bros okay all right um i love you (laughs) i love you like louise hay says at the end of her uh, affirmative affirmations i love you (laughs) now what i don't know philosophize with philosophize with It's Christina P, a.k.a. Miss Jeans. This ain't your mom's house. It's a different theme. Gotta be critically thinking. Like you caught up at a cocktail party. Our thoughts start to sink in. John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates. Got us talking all properly, topically. Just a comedian discussing these philosophies. Serious questions, silly people. What's that? That's deep, bro. It is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro.